Well, here we are at the end of the book of Jonah. We've spent now, this will be the fourth week on it, and what uh, a study of Jonah this has been. I'm, I'm so excited to be back up here to conclude this study of Jonah. Did you know, here's the, I, you know I like to share little factoids. Did you know that Jonah is the very first missionary book in the whole Bible? It's the first place that we really encounter and it's kind of especially interesting because it's in the Old Testament where God is saying, I have a heart for all people. And Israelites, no matter how sinful or awful or sick you might feel those people are, I created them, I love them, and I want to redeem them from their dark way of life. And it's, it's an amazing study in this because... God and his people here are not on the same page. God and his missionary, Jonah, are not on the same page. I don't know, uh, Phil asked a great question. What, what happens when your plans and God's plans seem at odds with each other? That was a great question, brother. Because we do encounter that in life, and that's what we want to study here. And uh, you've been introduced to this thought, I think, that we might understand why Jonah had different plans for the Ninevites and the Assyrians. I'm going to show you some more evidence of that this morning, because I think it's so important for you to understand what's going on, the struggle, the internal struggle that's going on in Jonah's heart. And this morning, I don't know if you've ever seen a pouting missionary a whining missionary, a missionary who's acting like a big baby, to be honest with you. But you're about to hear about one because that's what Jonah devolves into, a little tirade against God. And with that, let's dive in and watch that all go down in Jonah chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. So what's the this that seemed very wrong? Well, in the verse before, it says, God relented and did not bring on the Assyrians the destruction he had threatened. So now Jonah's ticked. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still back at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Wait, wait a minute, let's pause there. Why again is Jonah throwing his big tantrum and acting like a baby? Because he doesn't love God's grace? Who in the world doesn't love God's grace? Jonah doesn't love God's grace right now. And hopefully we'll understand why more at the end of this message. Now, Lord, this is how much he doesn't like God's grace right now. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Uh, again, one little side note, and then I'll keep reading. I won't keep interrupting throughout this. But do you know that many psychologists in today's world believe that the biggest reason over 85% of um, different psychological conditions are related to unresolved anger. I think I've shared that with you before. 85% of the, 
of depression, anxiety, the desire to commit suicide. Saying, I give up, take my life, Lord, is related to anger, grudge holding. And because Jonah is unwilling to resolve his anger here, which is with God, what does he say? Maybe you wouldn't expect a missionary to say such a thing, but this is an angry missionary. And so we should all be expecting Jonah to say exactly this. In fact, it's not the last time he's going to say it. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. This is probably not long after he had gone through and preached to the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. What do you think Jonah's waiting for, hoping for, dreaming of, planning in his own mind? Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Apparently, this uh, shelter wasn't really shady, but God helped him. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. I love it when I have uplifting texts like this. This is awesome. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Let's deal with this anger that you're experiencing, Jonah. Is it even right? Jonah's answer is, it is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Is that three times? Jonah has said, if I could take my own life, I would. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So for you animal lovers out there, you can take that little verse home and go, God even loves Fluffy. Isn't that awesome? And he does, because they're part of his creation. And by the way, 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left is actually probably just a reference to the children who haven't yet reached the age of majority where they can make decisions, because we believe from archaeology that Nineveh was a city of probably a half a million. Half a million people that God was looking at Half a million very evil people <laughs> that God was looking at and saying, I still love them. Remember what Jesus says? I mean, really what the book of Jonah is, is about this New Testament verse, about who God loves, who needs a doctor. I think we'll get it up there. Nope, it's a picture it says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. Let's hope I didn't leave it out again. There we go. It is not the healthy who need a doctor. Who needs a doctor? The sick. And, and sometimes when I, I 
used to read that, I thought, oh, he's talking about people who are weak, right? But if you look at the Assyrians, he's talking about sick in another way, the way that we sometimes talk about being sick. Those people are so evil, it's a sickness. They're sick people. And the Assyrians certainly match that. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And Jonah's saying, <laughs> if Jesus had been around to say that by Jonah's time, Jonah would have said, great, that's awesome for me, but you don't mean the Assyrians, the people of Nineveh, do you? Not people who are that sick. Have you ever been in a Christian church who says, um, we love lost people? We hope more people come in and, and, and join us to learn about Jesus. And then those sick people start coming through the door. And the Christians are a little bit like, mm, we love the lost, but man, those people are way lost. Jesus came for the sick, but did he come for even people as sick as that person appears to be? You see how easy it is for us Christians to get judgmental? Even when we're saying on the one hand, we want to reach the lost with the love of Christ. Somewhere in our minds sometimes is a little like set of parameters. As long as it doesn't go outside the borders, we love the lost. Well, Jonah's learning to expand his borders here. And I hope we will learn to expand our borders about what does it mean to love the lost and share the gospel with people who are weak and hurting and angry themselves and maybe are depressed and suicidal and people who have hurt others, maybe people who have hurt others seriously and even intentionally from where they were at that point when they did that. Can people change? A lot of people think, nope, and you can fill in your own blank. If you've done blank, you will never change. I can't, I can't count how many times I've heard, if you've done X, you will never change. Well, that's not what Jesus says. He heals all variety of spiritual illness and sicknesses. And people can change by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus living in them. And we're about to see how that works with Jonah. I want you to remember the question of this series that I posed a couple of weeks ago when I was last up here. It, it, it's, it's a question about how far out of the boundaries do we think God's plans are? Do we think sometimes that God's plans are ridiculous and really weird, then you're probably in good company with Jonah. You're probably in good company with a lot of Christians who have looked at how God does things, and, and he's like, how can God love such people that sick? How can God do this when I want to do that? That's the question that we're really on today. And I want to remind you again how sick the Assyrians were. Remember, I promised you that. So go back, guys, a little bit, a few slides. There's a couple of slides that describe. A couple weeks ago, I put up what they did to their enemies. Well, now I want you to see what the Assyrians did 
even to the people they let survive. These are the people that they were showing mercy to. One Assyrian king reported sparing some of the people he invaded, but only after they shamelessly humbled themselves before him. The nobles and elders of the city came out to me to save their lives, he declared. They seized my feet and said, if it pleases you, kill. If it pleases you, spare. If it pleases you, do what you will. Well, how does he respond to that? More often than not, though, the surviving men would be put through the hells they used to psychologically terrify the world. Assyrian art shows a parade of their slaves, meaning survivors, chained to large stones, being forced to drag massive rocks like mules. The rocks were to be used to build palaces and wonders for the kings, and the slaves couldn't stop for a moment. It says in another place, and I think I shared this with you two weeks ago, some people, when conquered committed suicide because they would rather be dead than face what they were going to face under the Assyrians. Behind them, slave masters were always watching, ready to beat anyone who slacked. The women had it even worse. After the hell that women of all eras have suffered after wars, they and their children would be led off into slavery. That's mercy in the eyes of an Assyrian emperor. And now, I show you that once again to ask you the plain and simple question, where would you have been if you were Jonah and had been sent on a missionary journey? Would you have not had maybe some other plans? And so we heard, didn't we, in this reading that Jonah, after being swallowed by the big fish and nearly drowning, hears God say, I told you to go to Nineveh, and you didn't listen, you went the opposite direction. So Jonah goes, all right. I'll do what you ask, Lord. And he goes, and he goes throughout this whole city of possibly a half a million people and preaches. And from the king, the Assyrian king on down, they repented of their evil. And it appears that the message of, of God's word, both law and gospel, healed them, at least for a brief period, from their spiritual sickness. But that doesn't do a thing for Jonah's anger. Not not a darn thing. He's still very ticked. These are his enemies. They're his family's enemies. They're the nation's enemies. And he wants them destroyed. So when, he, when we read in chapter 4 that he's sitting on a little hill underneath a, a little booth or shelter that he's built, he's waiting for the fire and brimstone to come raining down is what he's waiting for. He's waiting to see his anger satisfied. Because when we're angry, that's what we want. Anybody who's read Shakespeare knows an angry person wants their pound of flesh. Jonah wants his pound of flesh. In fact, he wants many pounds of flesh for what the Assyrians have done to Israel and to others. So when Jonah observes and he sees God relent, what does it say? But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And, and it goes on. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. God, I didn't like your plan from the get-go. I knew what you would do I know because I know what kind of God you are. Jonah knew some Bible passages. 
He knew what God had said to identify himself to Moses when he gave him the commandments, didn't he? Remember what he said? I'm a compassionate God, and I forgive sins. Jonah knew that, and he says it here. I knew, quoting what God says to Moses, that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. That's why I didn't want to go in the first place. So now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Guys, there are going to come times in our lives where the Lord's plans and our plans are not the same. There are going to come times when we're angry and we want God to punish and give us our pound of flesh and send down hail of fire and brimstone. And he's not going to do it. Because he wants those people to be saved. You see, when we're angry, do you know what the first thought of an angry human being is about that threat? I'm going to remind you, because Dustin told us last week, but I'm going to remind you. You know what the first human thought towards someone you're angry with is? Eliminate the threat. That's what we want by nature by sinful nature at least. And God says, not always going to eliminate the threat because I'm merciful and I'm loving and I'm compassionate and I'm forgiving. Sometimes I may eliminate the threat, but eliminate it in a way that's completely counterintuitive, not by taking them out or killing them or eliminating them. I'm going to eliminate the threat by turning them into my friend by turning them into my follower. Which if they become my friend and my follower and the Holy Spirit works in their heart, will eliminate them as a threat also to you because now they want the right things, the godly things, the loving things, the kind things. Abraham Lincoln said it, right? He's reported to have said, don't we eliminate our enemies when we make them our friends? It's a beautiful thought, and it's what God is doing here with the Assyrians. <laughs> but Jonah doesn't like it because he doesn't grasp this idea. I have a quote from David Jeremiah. You know, this is a beautiful thought. God loves you as though you are the only person in the world. I want you to just ponder that for a second. God loves you as if you were the sole focus of his love. And I'll tell you, I am down with that. Where Jonah got tripped up a little bit is when God said, and I love everybody else as if they were the sole focus of my love too. I love you, Jonah. That's why I'm sending fish and talking to you and asking you questions like, dude, like this anger thing that you've got going on right here, is that really right? I love you, Jonah. You're the sole focus of my love, but so are the Assyrians in the, the, in the capital city of Nineveh. There are, and he loves everyone the way he loves you. If we could remember that, Jonah could have remembered that. 
could have made a huge difference in his, right, in his life. So how do I respond when God seems ridiculous? Well, Jonah responded by becoming angry, angry at God. So let's just start there and let's ask ourselves, are we right to be angry at God when his plans are different from ours, when his mercy shows up and we want his justice? And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Next, let's ask this. Is it, is it um, right for us to become angry with God? Let's take what God asked Jonah, and let's ask it of ourselves. So you saw even God asked Jonah that question, right? In the next verse, it says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And we talked about this, how Jonah went out, he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, waited to see what would happen to the city. There was one thing he was hoping to see. All right? The destruction of that city. Let's, let's go on. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his comfort. Do you know what experiential learning is? God engages in experiential learning. So experiential learning is different from lecture in this way. I can tell you what I want you to learn, or I can set up an experience and allow the experience to show you what I want you to learn. And you, you sort of infer it from the experience. God is good at this. He started this in the Garden of Eden. When he wanted uh, Adam to understand what loneliness was, he didn't say, hey, Adam, one of these days you're going to feel lonely. He didn't just teach him that. He set up this whole experience for him. Name all these animals. And then Adam's like, why do all these animals come out and there's a male and a female and they have a companion? I don't have a companion. I'm lonely. And then God gave him someone who could match up with him, give him a compliment and a helper. God's doing that here with Jonah. He's giving him an experience that's intended to teach, and we'll talk about what it's intended to teach. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. What did Jonah love about the plant? Well, clearly, God loves me as if I'm the sole focus of his love. Like, he sees me in this little, like, there's 500,000 people in that city down there, but I'm the one he loves. I'm special. He's, he took time to make this vine grow up over my little shelter while I'm sitting here waiting for him to rain down destruction on this city. That's a good sign. Maybe he's going to do that next because he loves me so much. God's not done teaching. The experience isn't over. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. Before we come to the question, what does God do here? He shows Jonah grace and mercy, and then he withdraws the sign of his grace and mercy, which is this shade plant, 
And what he's really allowing Jonah to experience is, so do you really want to live, you, Jonah? Without you being the focus of my love? Do you really want to live without the experience of my grace and mercy? Because this is what, I'm giving you a little example of what that's going to look like. You want the heat of my anger to beat down on you? You want the, the, the blazing sun of my justice to cook not just your head, but every part of you for eternity? I don't think you want that, Jonah. And Jonah, think about it. If that's not what you want for yourself, is it really what you want for the Ninevites? But Jonah's... But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah's answer is this, it is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Jonah's, like, I have experienced personally what it's like to be an angry person many times in my life. You could ask Julie about that, but please don't. She's experienced it too. And you know what happens when you get hot with anger? It's hard to let go. It's extremely difficult to let it go. It's why people carry grudges. I come from a family that is famous in eastern Kentucky for being part of that whole McCoy and Hatfield feud for generations. I wasn't in those families. I was in a third family, the Martins, that, well, I wasn't, but my, rel my relatives were, that feuded literally for generations because they could not resolve their anger. Kept killing each other for revenge. It's so hard to let go of anger. But I'm going to tell you that unresolved anger is one of the most damaging spiritual things you can do to yourself. It just is. And, we, and this is what God is trying to teach Jonah. Dude, <laughs> the way to let go of your anger is to start by going back in humility and saying, wait a minute. Is, is what I'm saying really that I want justice for you, but mercy for me? Like, isn't that a little bit hypocritical? And Jonah, isn't that what you're kind of saying? For the Assyrians and the Ninevites, you want justice. You want God to come down hard, be totally fair with them. And yes, they do deserve his anger, but Jonah, dude, take a peek at yourself. Honestly, don't you deserve God's anger too because of your sin? And that's how anger can dissipate, by humbling ourselves, confessing our sins, looking at the grace and mercy we've received first, and saying to ourselves, how can I possibly be so hypocritical to want justice for others, but mercy for me? That's making it all about me and not caring what happens to others. And that's the problem. I, I wish we could go back through the book of Jonah and count how many times Jonah says, I. And, and you just saw a little example of it right there. Yes, Lord, I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm offended. I'm upset. 
I want to die. And as soon as you catch yourself saying, I, 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 making it all about me, you will never let go of your anger. You just won't. And so check. Check yourself, because that's what God is really teaching us from, from Jonah here, is that our anger with God and with others is often because we've made it all about me. You can write that down if you want to. It's in your program. So here's the final, the final point here. We actually have a, a warning in the New Testament book of James. And some of you are veteran worshipers here at Amazing Love, probably felt a little lost in the service this morning because you didn't hear us read the reading that we always have, right? And that's because I asked to put it here, inside the message. And I want you to see James chapter 2 first and then James chapter 4. James chapter 4 was meant to be our reading, but look at this. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, meaning take the focus off, off of me, myself, and I, and put it on your neighbor, you are doing right. That's wisdom to put the focus on someone else. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law, meaning hold on before you start thinking about how to treat others. First realize you're going to come under judgment too. Do you really want God dishing out justice to them and then, well, I've got to use the same cup for you? Or would you like, would you prefer to think about, well, I want grace for myself, so I, I think I want grace for them too. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. See that? That's a little scary. If we aren't merciful, how can we possibly expect to ask for mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is what God is teaching. Now, watch what James says two chapters later. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. This is a little similar to Jonah, only it wasn't to carry on business and make money. It was to carry on the Lord's business and make converts. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This is humility. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. What is he saying? This is the Lord's brother, by the way. James is the Lord's brother. He's saying, when you make a plan, make a plan humbly. When you make a plan, pray, not my will, but yours be done. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them, including how we go about making our plans. If only Jonah would have just said that little prayer. Lord, I hope you hit them hard. But not my will. Yours be done. It could have changed everything for Jonah. So here's what did happen. 
But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Jonah, let's think about how ridiculous this is. You care that deeply about a little vine plant with big leaves that came up and went up to about 10, 12 feet overnight. And there's people down there, souls down there. In fact, there are more than 120,000 people, I explained that, probably means children down there who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. Because God loves those whom he has created and he can't help himself. It's his very nature because God is love. And, and that's what we really need to understand about God. If we want to argue about God and his love, there's a C.S. Lewis quote that I, I really love. And it just tells us why God loves us. God loves us not because we're lovable. The Assyrians were not lovable. Frankly, Jonah wasn't lovable. I'm not lovable to God. Julie loves me sometimes. But I'm not lovable to God by nature. He loves me not because I'm lovable, but because he is love. Not because he needs to receive anything from me. He doesn't need to receive anything from me to fill some hole in his heart. I need to receive something from him to fill a hole in my heart. And that's his love. And he delights to give me and you exactly what you need. Isn't it beautiful? So who is God really all about? Who is it all about for God? Well, I can tell you, it's not all about me for God. I mean, when I say that, it's not all about God for God. It's all about you for God. It's all about us for God. And when I recognize that God is always all about us, Guess what happens? My anger starts to dissipate. When I see God's mercy, when I see God's grace, when I see God's forgiveness, my anger can fade. And I can begin to revel, celebrate, love God's grace for me, and not just for me, but for everyone, for all. I, I want to urge you to think about someone and, and it's in your next step. I, I want to urge you today to think about someone who doesn't deserve your love. Someone who's maybe done everything to destroy any shred of love that you thought you could have toward them. Someone that you might rightfully say, that's my enemy. That's my Ninevite. And I want to encourage you to pray for that person that doesn't deserve your love. To invest in them. And if the opportunity presents itself to do something really unusual and even get out of yourself and treat them kindly, love them, love your enemy as yourself. 
Are you willing to think about that? I don't know who's on your mind right now. I, I, I don't know what person. Maybe you've been deeply hurt, deeply injured and damaged by the person that popped into your head when I started to say that. But I'm telling you that if you can allow your heart to heal by letting go of your anger and letting it get resolved, and then by making the commitment, I'm going to do everything in my power not to stoke it up again. I'm going to do everything in my power not to allow that other person to stoke it up. So, you know, if they start coming in and stoking it up, you've got to recognize that, maybe create a little space so you can recover. That's all good. But at the end of the day, struggle and battle and work toward forgiveness because, man, what a life of joy awaits you in Jesus when you realize, hey, I've been forgiven that way by God. I was God's enemy. And through Christ, he forgave me. And what joy he has. So what if I did the same toward others? What joy maybe I might have? And that's what I'm asking you. That's the challenge I'm laying down for you, and that's your next step for today. Let's uh, join with each other in confessing our Christian faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.